Now, do you... <laughs> are you... Are you humming um, El Bimbo? No, I was uh, humming the the song they always play when they went into the Blue Oyster and Police Academy. El Bimbo. <laughs> oh, that's what it was named? By Bimbo Jet. I have the I record. Didn't, I did not know that. Yeah. Yes, I love Police Academy. All the Police Academies that were filmed in Canada, I thoroughly enjoy. Podcast possible. It doesn't matter who we are. What matters is our plan. Soon to be the number one podcast in the universe. Going straight to the top. The stars, yeah, the stars. One shining star in the night. Shining brighter than all the other ones. You clearly don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. Colin at Risen72. Dawn at Bully in Goal 71. Jamil at The Puffy Taco. Katie at KTCV13. Mandy at Capricorn. Welcome to episode three of Podcast Possible. I'm here with myself, Jamil. Hi, Jamil. Uh, Katie. <laughs> Hello. Mandy. Hi. Don. Uh, Hot. <laughs> unfortunately, Colin could not make it this week, um, but we have him in our thoughts. Uh, this week, um, a little bit more focused than other weeks, and um, you're going to notice a kind of a theme um, as we have three beautiful ladies with us this um, this uh-uh. episode. Uh-uh. And what? Three intelligent uh, no. ladies. Thank you. I, I, I'm, I'm way too butch to be considered beautiful. Sexy motherfucker, yes. Beautiful, no. You're still beautiful. Well, I, I take I take a what? Do you think that Butch couldn't be set, uh, beautiful, or or do you find I, that it's just um, totally it's, different? It's separate just too foo foo for for me. I <laughs> I'm, I I like how Amanda described me. Just handsome. I like it. It works for me. Them two. I'm giving okay. you a Butch's me, beautiful no. T-shirt. <laughs> hey. I, no. <laughs> if you if you look the look up the definition of my name, it actually means beautiful. I and thought I'm... it was Puffy Taco. <laughs> no, my actual name, Jamil. Oh. Oh. So, um, and I think I'm pretty, well, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily butch, but I'm kind of manly, so. Okay, girls, we're all pretty. Let's move on. All right. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you, you're going to notice that this, uh, we're going to be a little bit more focused this episode in terms of our, our topics. They're going to um, really blend much easily than previous ones. Um, first off, uh, just recently, there have been um, some controversy concerning um, Batwoman, the comic book. Uh, Mandy, can you um, elaborate? Yeah. Um, so two of the uh, people on the editorial team for Batwoman um, announced that they were leaving um, a couple weeks ago, about last week, 10 days ago-ish. There we go. Um, basically because DC has refused to allow Cat Kane, who is Batwoman, and her partner um, Maggie Sawyer to marry each other. And it's not about the fact that they are lesbians. It's the fact that they just don't want their characters to get married. It's just odd. Um, the uh, I guess Batwoman has actually proposed to Maggie twice on panel. And DC has not only refused to let the wedding be depicted on panel, but refused to let them be married at all. Married at all. The one of the uh, the people that left said that uh, they were told emphatically that no marriage can result. 
and it was never put to them as being anti-gay. And these these two people are um, J.H. Williams III and W. Hayden Blackman. And they're going to leave the series after issue 26 in December. And uh, a lot of people are not happy about it. And I'm I'm not ha- I don't read Batwoman. There's so there's so many comics out there. I have no time to read them all, but I have heard really great things about Batwoman, and I know a lot of people that read it that are just like, it would be a natural um, progression of the storyline, and DC isn't letting it happen. Okay, can I ask a question? Yeah. All right. You, you now I know we discussed it before we started recording, and you brought it up again that it has nothing to do with them being lesbian, which okay. Maybe it doesn't in whatever mode of their, that they're thinking, but I can't help but think, okay, well, because I was reading the whole thing. They said um, that heroes shouldn't have happy personal lives. Didn't they make a big whoop-de-doo over Superman marrying Lois Lane? Yeah. You know, okay. I have a so, whole... Sorry, go sorry. ahead, Katie. No, while we were talking about this before, I looked up... I googled DC married characters, and there's a whole bunch. And Barbara Gordon in the DC animated universe is married. Right, and I find it just kind of—I'm going to call bullshit. I find it funny that all of a sudden they won't allow this marriage to happen under the guise of heroes shouldn't have happy personal lives, but yet they've done it with a bunch of other major DC comic book characters. Why all of a sudden this? It doesn't make sense. Well, to be fair, um, we ju- we're coming off the heels of possibly one of the biggest uh, revamps of a universe uh, that DC has ever attempted with the New 52, where they're trying to establish a new status quo. Now, jumping, taking that character and now, um, I guess, I don't want to even say box them, box her in, in terms of where her character could go. I think they just want more freedom with the character. I understand your point, but a lot of companies get in a situation where they they marry or they put characters in a specific uh, situation and then they have to spend so many arcs or so many revamps trying to fix it back so that it's open and free and it can go in any direction. Most specifically, Spider-Man just had a one more day and brand new day where majority of the the whole situation was just to get him and Mary Jade separated again. Okay, but are you equating I, I mean I I know what you're saying and this is just a slight attempt at humor, but are you are you trying to say that they don't really want to be literal with the old ball and chain kind of thing? <laughs> uh for writer's sake, I believe that's their their mindset now can i I... give um can i give a quote from their the official statement from williams and blackman that might clear some a little bit of this up shoot they said unfortunately in recent months dc has asked us to alter or completely discard many long-standing storylines in ways that we that we feel compromise the character in the series we were told to ditch plans for killer croc's origins forced to drastically alter the original ending of our current arc, which would have defined Batwoman's heroic heroic future in bold new ways, and most crushingly prohibited from ever showing Kate and Maggie actually getting married. All of these editorial decisions came at the last minute and always after a year or more of planning and plotting on our end. 
Okay. So what I take from that is DC does not want anything long term with Batwoman, right? Or, or well, yeah, specifically Batwoman, um, especially if they have everything laid out so well in advance and. Um, knowing that this uh, creative team has been involved with Batmo- Batwoman even before the New 52, they have they have felt that they have some type of ownership to the character, and being told that they they cannot control where this character goes, I can kind of see where there's a conflict on both sides. DC feels well. Wait a second, we might have a different idea of where we want Batwoman to end up. Whereas the people who actually brought Batwoman up to prominence is saying, well, you know, we made her what she is right now. Um, shouldn't we have a say, more of a say as to where she's going to go? So I can understand both sides, but m- and my horse in the race is um, whatever is quality wins out. And for what I've read of Batwoman, I trust the creative team that has brought it this far more so than DC um editorial sticking their fingers in the pot right yeah because you if you figure it out you've got let's just call them what they are the parents of the character okay they're raising it they're trying to nurture it into something you know that will go in a certain direction then all of a sudden you got somebody coming over on top of them saying um no we want it homeschooled I know that's a bizarre way of putting it, but... I, it, I think it's, it's perfect. It, that's just how it seems to me. Um, Dan DiDio, um was asked about this at Baltimore Com- Comic-Con, and he said that heroes shouldn't have happy personal lives. They are committed to being that person and committed to defending others at the sacrifice of their own personal interests. And it's and that's very important and something we reinforced. He's like, and he, I guess he compares it kind of like to the people of like the Bat family, like in all of Batman, like Bruce Wayne and Tim Drake and Barbara Gordon and everybody. And he's like, it's wonderful that they try to establish personal lives, but it's equally important that they set them aside. That is our mandate and that is our edict and that is our stand. Although I think it's another uh, point in this article was that um, I didn't. I actually forgot about this. Um, they had hired Orson Scott Card to write a Superman story or earlier this year. Okay, that that whole <laughs> controversy. Yeah, uh, I forgot was, about that. That was a bad idea by DC. Yeah, Mandy, can you can you just explain that for people who might not know who um, Orson Scott Card is? Um. Oh my God! What my mind just what books did he do? He he did like really famous sci-fi books. Um. What did he do? I totally forgot. In any case, the dude came out as completely anti-gay. And he... It's just amazing that they would bring... Like, the amount of horrible things that he said that they would bring him on and hire him. It is... Yeah. I, I, and I know it's a book that I should know, and it's just not in my mind right now. He did Ender's Game... Ender's um, Game. Thank yeah. you. I knew. I knew it was some, some essential sci-fi book. <laughs> yes, he's um a great um he's a sorry he's a practicing member of the Church of uh, Latter Day Saints, uh, and he's very vocal about um, his opposition to same-sex uh, marriages. Oh yeah, which is which is why people are very um anti him 
writing for Superman because yeah. they felt that Superman being such a an all-American um, type of character to have someone who is considerably that polarizing um, would be a negative. And that's just me being politically correct. Uh, basically, someone who's being such an asshole <laughs> writing for Superman isn't really something that people look forward to. And many people I know um, said that they would um, take Superman off of their pull list if it went through and him actually write for Superman. <laughs> yeah, this is the, this is the same DC an utter that did failure like this year, completely and utterly failing this year. Katie, do you have any um, comments on this whole Batwoman situation? I do. Um, I've been sitting here looking through this married characters database and more than once in different universes in DC, Batman's married. So they're lying straight up. There's something else going on. Fuck them. That's what I got. <laughs> to, to, to me, this isn't even a matter of other people are married or other people aren't married. You can't well, no, really... They you, said people in the Batman universe shouldn't be married. Batman shouldn't be married. Dick Grayson shouldn't be married. But if Batman is married in other books and they haven't like put the kibosh on that storyline, then I don't really see what they're standing on. But their whole, their whole comment about um, the Bat family needs to be you know, painted or portrayed in this this self-sacrificing manner, That's I think that's just really a cop-out in terms of the situation because I don't really read Robin to be just like being Batman, like a, a teenage version of Batman or Nightwing as the young adult version of Batman or uh, Batwoman as the, the female version of Batman. No, Batman is Batman. All these people are different characters who lead different lives, but all have the same cause or use similar methods. And you're telling me that uh, we're going to have to paint all of them with the same brush for the most part. That, that just seems totally whacked in my opinion. I agree. I completely agree with you. I just, I don't know. Whoever they have doing like their PR stuff with their, that cop out and then their cop out apology for the Harley Quinn situation like that I don't know I'm really not really digging on DC too much right now and it's kind of heartbreaking because they're in control of Wonder Woman okay. so okay so what's DC just kind of hates chicks right now <laughs> what's happening with the the Harley Quinn situation well the Harley Quinn situation is they have they they had put up a contest for aspiring artists and they were told the artists, like the, the, the guidelines for the contest were to draw Harley Quinn in different situations, um, like wearing a bikini made of chicken, hoping that alligators would eat her, like in a swamp. Um, another one, you were supposed to draw her attempting to get struck by lightning. Um, another one, her attempting to get swallowed by a whale. And the fourth one, I'm going to read you what it said. Harley sitting naked in a bathtub with toasters, blow dryers, blenders, appliances, all dangling above the bathtub. And she has a cord that will release them all. We are watching the moment before her inevitable death. Her expression is one of, oh, well, guess that's it for me. And she has resigned herself to the moment that is going to happen. So that's kind of weird. Naked <laughs> chick in a bathtub. You know, and I mean, as we all know, comic book characters are generally... 
you know, whole lots of boob, whole lots of ass. So I'm sure that all these guys are going to like try and make her look all super sexy sitting in the bathtub about to kill herself, which is just kind of sick and twisted, really. If if it was if it was Deadpool, I think as a, a character with his history, that would work and that would be humorous, right? But as Harley Quinn, I would never I could I could I could not separate the fact that they're trying to paint the whole death as being sexual type of um, idea as opposed to with Deadpool it's just for comedy's sake. That was my initial thought too was when I first read it I was like it's like they're trying to make her into like a DC Deadpool but there are so much better ways to do it than the way that they're doing. Okay, can can I just interject? I'm just going to play devil's advocate on this in a way. Because, like I said, when I first read this, my first immediate reaction was outrage. But then I started thinking about it. Now, I'm not, I'm going to be honest, I am not overly familiar with DC comic book characters. Especially the Harle- Harley Quinn character. The only exposure I got to that character was from, uh, Bat- was it Batman Beyond? Or- Batman the Animated Series. Yeah, that one. That's the only time I really knew who the hell the character was. And the way they portrayed her was goofy. You know, she was devoted to the Joker, but she was goofy. So the more I started thinking of the way they were setting up her deaths, it kind of made sense because, you know, you wear a chicken suit into the Everglades. Yeah, you're going to probably get, you know, chomped up by alligators. And to lie naked in a bathtub... With toasters, hair dryers, boom boxes, what, whatever have you, that's about to fall into the water with you, it is there. They, I can see where they're kind of going, like you know, if it were Deadpool instead, comedic overkill. But the thing that I think it that makes it a little bit more, um, I guess. Not I don't want to use the word outrageous, uh, more offensive is the fact that they're having her in a tub, naked, with all this stuff about to come down on her. But when you think about it, how many people commit suicide in scuba outfits when they're in a bathtub? How many people are, you know, committing suicide in a bathtub wearing clothes? They're naked. I mean, I, I'm not trying to, again, I'm not trying to defend them, but I can kind of in some ways see the point, but it's just that they're making suicide a contest. That's where I kind of was drawing the line. A week before, um, was it um, Suicide National Prevention Week? Suicide Prevention Week. Yeah. <laughs> right. Great timing. I would like to also point out that in Groundhog Day, Bill Murray was wearing a full set of clothes when he um, jumped into a bathtub with a toaster. But uh, in in that scene, wasn't he at the point where it's like, well, nothing's working, what the fuck, you know? Well, well and in their, in their pseudo-apology, um, they said that they were... I should have also mentioned, we were, look, we were thinking a Mad Magazine Looney Tunes approach. That's what we were looking for. We thought that was obvious with the whale and the chicken suit and so on. But learned it was not. I, I'm like, sorry for those who took offense. <laughs> When I think of Harley Quinn, I don't think of um, c- comedic slaps, um, slapstick. I think of uh, comedic 
uh, type of tragedy, like tragic character. You kind of feel bad for her. She's so devoted to um, to the Joker. You kind of love her as a character because she's so devoted and so wacky, but you don't get a sense of over-the-top craziness like Deadpool. Like, the only similar character I can think of like Deadpool um, for women would be She-Hulk, who's had a history of just being this character that broke in the fourth wall, would look at the camera, would be in a bathtub naked and trying to kill herself, knowing that she couldn't, right? That's just the type of character She-Hulk has been for how many years? So it just it just seems all of a sudden it's just very just weird. Well, and the other thing is, I mean, you know, they say they want it to be like, you know, if they're comparing it to Looney Tunes, like, I'm sorry, it's different with anthropomorphic animals. <laughs> like they're they're clearly not real. But I mean, and yes, she is a comic book character, but she is a character that is a person and that's just I don't know. I think it's kind of fucked up. <laughs> I don't think that it's really cool to be like, hey, take one of these very well-known characters and make her kill herself. Like, well, did you show us the moments right before her death, please? Did, did you say that they apologized about the uh, about the contest in general? But did they apologize about the timing of this contest? No, they didn't even really apologize. They basically, it was kind of one of those, oh, we're sorry you were offended. Like, not, we're sorry for the, you know, perhaps indelicate contest material or whatever you know i just they're just kind of like oh you know we're sorry you were offended we're sorry for those who took offense is what it says here we are sorry for those who took offense like oh i feel sorry for you that you were offended by our jackass move yeah the the basic non-apology that's the only place that the word sorry shows up in here i'm sorry that you were offended by our offensiveness of being offended okay no apology just sorry you were offended that's it's it's always it's always a, a a sensitive matter when it comes to how you handle um, a female character, especially a popular one. Seeing that for the most part, there isn't that many really landmark uh, female characters in comic books. You can like you can name like the top female characters on your hand with like Wonder Woman, Storm, um, Supergirl, and that's really you know. Not really, but really, but not really. Same thing with She-Hulk. It's like they're basically just the the female versions of established characters like Superman and Hulk, yeah. right? And you have you have female characters that people care about, and then all of a sudden you have writers who feel that the best way to make the male superhero or male um, characters. Uh, battle someone or deal with the situation is to put the female character in peril. An example of a writer who feels this is uh, a writing tactic that um, is fine to be consistently used is Mike Millar. Uh, sorry, Mark Millar. Damn it. <laughs> Damn. You know, Mr. Millar. Mr. Yeah. Millar. Yeah. Mark Millar. Anyway, Mark Millar who has been known for various popular comic books in recent history, came down to basically to defend why rape is a, shall we say, an accepted form of moving a story along. Because, then this is the quote, 
the ultimate act that would be the taboo to show how bad some villain is was to have somebody being raped, you know, Millar said. I don't really think it matters. It's the same as, like, a decapitation. It's just a horrible act to show that somebody's a bad guy. Now, before I begin, let me just stress on my opinion. I am not saying or glorifying the usage of rape as a story. It's a, it is a truly horrible act. And yes, I'm about to put some of my soul on Front Street here. I was molested as a child, which is a form of being more or less raped because it is very traumatic in the same regards, especially when it it's by somebody, you know, as a trusted friend and or family member. But he has a valid point in the sense that if you want to prove somebody is bad, there are so many ways that you can, you can do this. Rape, unfortunately, is one of them. Um, does it have to be a female? No, it does not. Because I can quote an example of uh, there was a TV show called The Shield. And there was a scene where the police captain at the time, you know, a dude, was raped and they videotaped it. And then they sent the, the, um, the disc to him to blackmail him. And, you know, the, you watch the whole thing and it was truly traumatic to watch. The Shield is the other show by Kurt Sutter, right? That's the one I, he did before Sons of Anarchy? I believe so. Okay. You can see a lot of uh, similarities between the two as far as how they're done. And I'm also thinking, again, moving away from rape, though, watching The Dark Knight. Here we go, back to DC again. But um, during The Dark Knight, there was a scene where they had the Joker... Uh, Basically, he was uh, torturing some Batman imposter, and it was done after the fact that he threw the guy out a window, you know, hanging, and he slammed up against a building. That was very dark and traumatic for me. I can't explain why, but it just drives the point home that there are so many different ways that, you know, you can make a person look as evil as humanly possible. And regrettably, uh, rape is probably, at least in my opinion, the number one, because it is very traumatic for anybody to have that, that violation happen to them. So I can see what he's talking about, but, you know, I know a lot of people aren't going to exactly agree with that. Uh, the way I don't like his comparison of rape to decapitation because someone being raped is completely different than someone just straight up being murdered in any way. I mean, yeah, you get decapitated. It's not like you're going to remember it for the rest of your life. It, it's not like, yeah, it's not like it's going to be there every single day of the rest of your life. It's not gonna, you know, cause you to cause someone to have PTSD, not have trust issues. You know, the whole, the whole shebang that goes along with, you know, someone who's been raped and I can't agree with him. Like I haven't, okay. I, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but yeah, the person that a decapitation happens to won't remember it. But do you remember the video that was released? Oh God, was it a year or two after nine 11, uh, where they sent a video of some American being decapitated? They put, you know, there was like a big 
like viral video of it. As an American service member, I've never watched any of those type of videos. Okay. I, I, I didn't watch it. I heard about it. But even hearing about it, that what that was traumatic. And it granted it what the person that it happened to, it it didn't affect them nearly as you know, well, it did affect them. But anyone who talked about it or was sick enough to watch it, it left an indelible mark on them. That it left a lot of people that were, you know, slated to work over, you know, in that area, kind of a little afraid to take those jobs. Even if it was paid really well, it was still ingrained in their head. This shit could happen to me and I could fucking die. I'm still, I'm I'm agreeing with you. It's still a different uh, situation as being raped. Like I said, that is still probably the number one thing that could really, you know, happen to you that's really fucked up. But I'm, I, I would like to, I don't would like, but I would like to think that anyone, like, say, if the family members, I'm sure they were traumatized by that. Um, right. Gail Simone, who um, is, she's well known for um, writing DC's Birds of Prey, um, the all-new Adam, Partial of Deadpool. She took over Wonder Woman in 2007. Um, she made actually a really good um, um, quote about this. And she said, this is basically dubbed as the women in refrigerator syndrome. The overwhelmingly disproportionate number of female comic characters who are killed, maimed, raped, or stripped of their powers for the sake of advancing a male character's plot has long been a problematic strain in the world of comics. And uh, I guess when she and some other writers were gathering creator responses for um, a woman, women in the refrigerators project in 99, Mark Millar said that granted the female stuff has more of a sexual violence theme. And this is something people should probably watch out for, but rape is a rare thing in comics and is seldom done in, in an exploitative way. And that's what he said at the time. That was 99. You know, we're all trying to, what's the word I want, Um, step forward in the entertainment world, whether it's comics, gaming, TV in general. And like, you know, you, Don, you brought up The Shield earlier and then, you know, my automatic, you know, connection goes back to Sons of Anarchy and the absolutely horrible rape of Gemma that was portrayed, uh, what was that, second season? Yeah. And I I think I think for in the case of Sons of Anarchy it did what it was supposed to do but like comics are well known to just have random gratuitous violence and I don't think adding rape to the mix helps. Okay, um just just two points, just just two. Um I'm reading the comment at the bottom. There was a quote from Joseph Hughes of Comics Alliance to which in his, his response to uh, Millar's comments was in a culture in which rape is undeniably endemic. Millar's steadfast refusal to consider the potential ramifications of his work remains astounding, infuriating, irresponsible, and sad to pretend depictions of rape and sexual assault in popular fiction play absolutely no role in furthering informing a culture that seems largely hell bent on not dealing with these statistics is at best willfully ignorant. 
a position adopted by a writer more concerned about the money he's making than actually improving a creator. Okay. I more or less kind of agree with that. But I hate to be the one to say this. And yes, I I know I think in three episodes of our uh, podcast, I am, for, for good reason, a negative Nancy, if you will. But rape exists. To pretend it does not is, in my opinion, irresponsible, infuriating, and sad. Because everything is not sunshine and rainbows. It's not. It uh, Maybe um, if he's only doing this to further a male character's storyline and make money, okay, boo on him. But there have been creators, writers, and other um, individuals that used rape to promote its awareness that it exists. I, I mean, I, I'm really on the fence of how I feel about this situation, but I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, it does exist. I'm not, I'm, I don't think the, the issue is that it doesn't exist. Um, what what you said earlier, I think, is the main crux of the the problem that people have with Millar's comment, and that in his books, right, the whole purpose, seemingly, of the rape is to progress the story of a male character, right, as opposed to like looking back at his books. I don't think they really dealt with the result of the rape from the person, the victim's standpoint. It was just he. Um, someone did this to my friend, my sister, my girlfriend, my my um, whatever, and thus I must do this, right? He, he's it's, not it's using totally it to be separate. like educational. It's totally separate. It's 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 put on the same level as if they uh, killed the the character's dog, and thus the villain must pay, right? You don't see no funeral for the dog, as you don't see no aftermath for the rape. All you see is the person, it's like, there's been a rape, um, this is what happened, thus I must get revenge. Right? Okay, it's, well, it's, well, it's totally separate, it's just using it to be as vile as possibly could be. What if we flip the script? What if the situation was a case where it was um, Deadpool getting raped? Don't ask me why I went there, but I had to. And She-Hulk was the one that was getting the vengeance. What? Where's the difference? There isn't one. There you go. Rape, no. rape is rape. That's what I'm saying. Uh, well, Don. But there's a different way that you can portray it as furthering the storyline, or you can portray it and be educational. Like, for example, um, a lot of people hated this movie this summer. I loved Iron Man 3 for the fact that it showed on screen what happens to people after war and the fact that he was dealing with PTSD. Oh, I like Iron and they, Man 3 and they, too, but... And they used that as like an... To me, it was like they used it as an educational tool to kind of show, hey, you know, we sent... Maybe not. This is me taking it as a veteran from watching the movie that they took... You know, we send our, our guys and girls off to war and they come home and this is what they're dealing with. And they showed that on screen in a way, in an entertainment standpoint to show, 
you know, the country and the world, hey, you know what, PTSD is a real thing. My my complaints about its portrayal in Iron Man 3 is that I wish that there was um, more, um, I, like, for the most part, I wish there was another component to Iron Man 3 that just dealt specifically concerning that, more or less because a lot of complaints I got from people who watched Iron Man 3 is... Why is it that he went through the first two movies and he was okay, and then all of a sudden he's in Avengers and now he's he has uh, PTSD all of a sudden? That just seems so weird and so out of character, you know? Dealing with people like that that don't understand that, you know, it's not to say that this is what's going to cause you to to be shell-shocked, right? It. It's a cumulative effect. It, it affects people in different ways, but the effect is still there. And having to deal with it still has to be managed, right? Not saying, oh, it's supposed to happen at this point or this point or dealing with this um, is supposed to cause it and not that. Do you get what I'm saying when, when I'm detailing it that way? I mean, in speaking from my own experience, I've luckily have never had to deal with PTSD. But I know for different friends of mine that it could pop up directly after a deployment. It could pop up after four deployments. You know, it it's you know, it's unfortunately one of those things that it's gonna be different for everybody that deals with it. So where, you know, you just said, you know, he went into these other ba- battles and he uh you know, it didn't pop up then. It doesn't have to pop up then. It's the fact that it pops up at all. And I wish that there was like a... Dis- and I, I hope it comes up in like Avengers 2 or there's like there's a cameo with um, Captain America or, or, or S.H.I.E.L.D. or something and Iron Man has that type of discussion because I think it's something that introduced in Iron Man 3 that's, that's something that should be... Like it should be talked about more. Should it's it's an interesting um, storyline and concept that I think should continue on. That you know Iron Man three, he's dealing with this issue. It isn't an issue of of him getting his house blown up because for the most part Tony Stark could just build another one, or him losing his suit because he could just build another one. Right? This is something that has rocked him to his very core, and he struggles with it for the majority of the movie. Right. And it isn't something where he he's hurt in his arm or hurt in his leg and he's 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 having trouble trying to to, you know, to finish off the bad guy like John McClane is bleeding through half of the Die Hard movie. Right. But he still manages to, you know, fight the bad guy despite his his injuries. This is a non physical injury. Right. This is an injury on his his very being. That he's trying to battle to win the day. And I thought that was great. Yeah, I really loved Iron Man 3. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> speaking of, of quotes from the comic community concerning that whole issue. Um, or just in general of, of uh, characters. Female characters in comic books, right? Or um, comic books for, um, for women. Uh, here's a quote from Todd McFarlane um, from a PBS documentary series, Superheroes, The Never-Ending Battle. Um, 
Todd McFarlane, if you don't know, is the creator of the 90s anti-hero Spawn. He also um, uh, drew Spider-Man for a while. Um, so he's quoted as saying, um, he wanted to claim that if his own daughters were seeking a source of empowerment, he'd direct them away from comic books. He said, um, it's not, it might not be the right me- um, platform. I've got two daughters, and if I wanted to do something that I thought was embodiment to a female, I probably wouldn't choose superhero comic books to get that message across. I would do it in either a TV show, a movie, a novel, or a book. It wouldn't be superheroes because I know that's heavily testosterone-driven, and it's a certain kind of group of people. That's not where I would go to get this kind of message, so it might not be the right platform for some of this." End quote. Uh, I am not a big fan of Todd McFarlane, um, and reading that and how he, as a person who struck out on his own to get away from the big two, DC and Marvel, to make his own company so he could tell his own stories, to uh, to just wuss out on that and just saying, well, that's how it is. Um, that's it's not for them for the most part. That's what that's what I'm getting from the conversation. I just think it's totally cowardly, and um, he should grow some stones and really write write something that he feels that would you know benefit his. He's he's telling his 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 daughters that um, they should for the most part stay away from superhero books. That just it just boggles my mind. Yeah, I kind of lost uh, a lot of respect for him when he said that because it's almost like he's saying comic books are for boys, Barbies are for girls, essentially. That's that's what it yeah. sounded like. Um, let's the vast majority. This is another quote: "The vast majority of dudes are going are doing this high testosterone sort of storytelling, and so we put our fantasy on the plate on the pages." Um, as much as we stereotype the women, we do it with the guys. The guys are all good-looking, not too many ugly superheroes. They've all got their hair gel back. They they have got perfect pecs on them. They have no hair on their chest. I mean, they are the Ryan Gosling on steroids, right? They're all beautiful, so we actually stereotype and do it to both sexes. We just happen to show a little more skin when it gets to ladies. This is insanity. He does not know. I do. I, I can't believe he would even think that what he's saying makes sense. If he thinks the only difference is there's less skin on a female superhero character, <laughs> just from the pose, the, the well, showing more skin. Sorry, just from the <laughs> posing um, standpoint is bad enough. If you've seen like the um, the images where they put. Uh, male superhero characters in similar poses as female characters and see how out of whack and over-sexualized they have the characters looking, oh, yeah. he, he would see how stupid that comment was. It isn't just that. It's the storytellers who are doing a piss-poor job of portraying women in um, a positive and uh, commanding light. Like, all the women always have to be in the background and as sexual characters. Um, ah. I thought we were going Fifty Shades, but okay. <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. Oh, we, can... uh, okay. we have to build up trust, Don. 
<laughs> Oklahoma. Oklahoma. That's Flugelhorn. the safe word, by the way. Did anyone read Fifty Shades of Grey? No. I read excerpts of it online, and it, like, just certain lines, and I just laughed because it was pretty terribly written, and I'm really not sure how it ever got published. I, There's got to be I better erotica out there. I haven't touched it because I read, <laughs> because it said, um, I read the um, Anne Rice trilogy, the uh, the Sleeping Beauty trilogy about 10 years ago. And I know I know that Fifty Shades of Grey won't be able to top that. And just the fact that everybody else that I know that has really no, um, what's the word I want, experience in that world is reading it and I, I can't bring myself to read it. <laughs> I did however see a hysterical musical parody of it. Oh god. Called Spank. And it was so funny. There were Batman jokes in it. It made me really happy. If you want to see uh oh my god. I, I whenever I have a really, really, really bad day at work, this YouTube clip never fails to make me laugh. And uh, it's a shout out to uh, his name's Charles St. Michael. He uh, does a lot of YouTube uh, videos. One of them that I got drawn into uh, was called I Like to Say Fuck a Lot. <laughs> it makes sense. And the gateway for me was the uh, he has this thing called It Doesn't Get Better. It was a takeoff on bullying about the series of It Does Get Better. Uh -huh. And he, he made so much more sense about bullying than any of those others did that I just started watching all his videos and he came out with uh, this um, character that reads basically as if like he's reading classic literature, uh, pop culture. It's called Pop Culture Confidential and he decided to do Fifty Shades of Grey and the outtakes of it were so hilarious. Um, go, you have to go onto YouTube and look up Fifty Shades of Grey outtakes and look for Charles St. <laughs> Michael. And it's about 12, a little over 12 minutes long. It is probably the most spot on, if not hilarious take next to George Takai reading Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> I mean, it's worth the view if you ever need a good laugh. I mean, after this podcast episode, you may need to have a good laugh watch this this is so perfect see i haven't i haven't read 50 shades of gray and i i do actually plan on reading it just because <laughs> i'm the type of person who just reads anything like i've read um twilight already uh because my sister read it and she told me uh to go ahead and you know give it a shot and i i i finished all of all four books in the matter of I think a week and I do occasionally reread some of the books because they're so friggin hilarious. Um, Twilight is possibly one of the, the funniest books I've ever read. Jamila, I'm right there with you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> one thing I, I will, one thing I will quickly say about Twilight is that uh, Stephanie Meyer, the writer of Twilight does create an interesting universe right that her characters are interacting in unfortunately she's such a poor writer that the characters are unlikable their motivations are all idiotic and 
for the most part, a lot of the side characters that are supposed to be somewhat uh, non-essential or uh, even uninteresting are the most interesting parts of the entire series. You mean um, like disco ball vampires? Uh, like, no, like the the werewolves in and of themselves and their like interactions are actually not all that bad. Yes. Uh, I, uh, I read all of the Twilight books when I was stationed over there in Italy, and my boss, who's a dude, borrowed all four from me. Yeah. And he, uh, he actually became a huge fan of Jacob. And whenever that trailer came out where basically it showed Jacob transforming into a werewolf, that is some really awesome CGI. Like, I got to give it to them for that, for, like, the, the showing of the werewolves alone is pretty fantastic. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is why the world is going to hell. No, it's not that. Because it's, it's not really the whole story as a whole. Because the story as a whole is terrible. It's awful. And I only had read Twilight because everybody else read it. And I was like... And I, I read all the vampire books when I was in high school. I read Poppy Z. Bright. And there was another author, um, Amelia Atwater Rhodes. I read a bunch of her books. Um, I read Christine Fian, Maggie Shane. All those romance style ones that are still way better than Twilight will ever be. <sighs> Oh, Pippi Longstockings, how we miss you. <laughs> but, um, what was it? Um, are you there, God? There... It's me, Mandy. <laughs> are you there, God? It's me, Mandy. <laughs> Twilight as a whole is absolutely terrible. Yes. But there are the there are a couple, and that and that is like two redeeming qualities of it, and that is the way that the werewolves are portrayed on TV on the screen. And the CGI, and actually the fight scene at the la- the very last movie, I was actually kind of impressed because and the, the CGI game. in that was pretty good. And the drinking game, and then the the, the... <laughs> the Twilight drinking game. Whereas you read um, the Twilight books, and anytime Bella says uh, "marble stone Adonis, beautiful, um, uh, godlike," uh, what else? Uh, like she has like about eight descriptive words that she uses for Edward throughout the entire series. And I bet <laughs> you at some points you would just die of alcohol poisoning <laughs> if you read that book and try yeah, it. Sounds like it. Um, oh, going back to Fifty Shades, um, Fifty Shades, if you don't know, has sold over 70 million copies worldwide. <laughs> right. And has set the record for fastest selling paperback of all time, surpassing the Harry Potter series. Oh, do you really want to know why? Horny fucking masturbating women. housewives. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I guarantee you there. I mean, Mandy, didn't you have a sex toy show not too long ago? Well, I, I, I was about to get into that. We actually had that last night. We had um, a pure romance party here last night. <laughs> How'd that go? That's not bad, actually. What's a pure romance? I was just about to ask the same question. It's a like a women's like where they have different lotions, different this, different that, and but they also have sex toys. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. (laughs) No, I I have a friend who does that for a living. So I'm flipping through the catalog and I turn the page and it is like there was a whole section dedicated to Acting out your fantasies from Fifty Shades of Grey, and I about oh. wanted to just smack every woman in the room. 
I, I'm sorry. Because I've read the Anne, the Anne Rice Sleeping Beauty books, which are way, way, way not tame compared to like Fifty Shades of Grey. And I haven't read Fifty Shades of Grey. I'm sorry. A Fifty Shades of what? Have You haven't heard of that book? I've heard all, of Dawn? it. I, no, I'm freaking retarded. Yeah, I've heard the freaking I book. But the it. thing is, is I've heard so much about it that number one, I don't have to read it. And two, doesn't anyone know how to do anything on their own anymore without having to have these types of like... Apparently not. Good freaking God. They had like the... the what do I want to call it? Those... Um, the restraining thing, but it goes underneath the bed and around, so you can do arms and arms and legs for that, so you don't have to worry shackles? about a headboard. No, the, well, kind of, but they were Those like different Velcro. type of shackles, wouldn't it? Yeah, not? yeah, it was like fabric, and they had like a flogger, and they had like this little whip thing, and I was like, dude, I don't know. I haven't read because Fifty that, Shades well, yet, so well, because well, people spoil it. Well, people started asking about floggers, and I'm like, you can't just use it. You have to, like, actually look up and research, like, what areas you can hit. Like, because if you use it the wrong way, you can injure somebody. Like, you can't just get a flogger and start hitting somebody with it. <laughs> oh, why not? <laughs> well, Red if flogger. you're trying to make it so it's pleasurable for somebody, you don't want to just hit them wherever with a flogger. Unless they're into that. <laughs> Unless they're into that. I'm really amused by the word flogger. <laughs> you it sounds too be. much like frogger to me, and I think of a whole different thing. <laughs> now I'm thinking about Hubert. <laughs> I have a lot of friends that are really into the BDSM scene. Like, big time into it, live it, whatever. That are just like... You know, now this this is kind of people are kind of getting into it, but they don't even really know what it's all about and the trust that goes into it and the techniques and this and that. And I have to agree with them. I'm just thinking if they have the fantasy, if you will, uh, fantasy packet of acting out your Fifty Shades of Grey and you got your sex toys, that's kind of like we've got hamburger and ketchup for you, too. Yeah, basically, like, I ever flipped to that page, and it pretty much everybody, all the women in that room had read that book except for me. <laughs> and how many of them bought, like, the King Kong vibrator at the same time? Oh, I don't know. But they... it's just, it's a book that I can't... Jamil. <laughs> Jamil. Pregnant pause. I was like, I was like... <laughs> King Kong vibrator. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you ever want to hear a funny story, my first trip into a sex store was hilarious. Oh, let's hear it. <laughs> well, go ahead. <laughs> oh, yeah, God. Yeah, yeah. Um, you brought it up. <laughs> that's not the only thing I brought up. Bing! Um, <laughs> no, um, this is when I was with my uh, first girlfriend. I Granted, I've been to sex stores before her, but this is the one that always sticks out in my mind. <laughs> is I'm walking around... And she's like, are you sure you don't want to walk around with dark sunglasses on so you don't want to be recognized? I'm like, no, I can be adult about this. So I'm looking around and I get to this one section. It looks, I have no idea what I'm looking at exactly. And I have this couple, like about a foot away from me, discussing the finer qualities of butt plugs. 
And I'm kind of looking at him like, why would you do that to yourself? But I digress. I t- just kind of like sashayed away. Homage to RuPaul. And um, I started walking around again and I came to this one section. I saw a spanker. It was like um, a spanker. <laughs> that, it, that's essentially what it was used for. Sorry. It was a hand, on, a hand on a wand if you will. And you were supposed to use it to spank your partner or yourself if you're into that sort of shit. And as I'm standing there looking at it, trying to get a better look at it, I hear this woman going, oh, so you see our Rue. And I, I kind of like look at her and go, mm, Rue? What? Biggest mistake you ever want to make in a sex shop, by the way, is asking, what's that? I said, no, uh, what's Rue? And she brings out this vibrator it was about probably about seven, eight inches long. It had, you know, the traditional feature, but it had a kangaroo that I guess for those with sensitive hearing and whatnot, um, you might want to turn this part off. You know, the prudes out there like me. <clears throat> anyway, it had this portion that was in the shape of a kangaroo that it's to stimulate the clit. Anyone else getting warm in here? Anyway, she turns it on and it makes a little slight. And I, I'm just, my jaw just drops. I've n- I never saw anything like this ever. And she goes, and if you like this, we have the Kong. And she reaches underneath <laughs> the counter and slams this thing that can only be described. You've heard the expression big as a baby's arm. Yeah, it was like about maybe the size of my forearm with this massive head on it. And it had a giant kangaroo. (laughs) And I'm looking at it going, "Uh, uh, uh, uh." oh, so you're impressed with it? I'm like, no, walked out. I'm terrified. Are you going to go drilling for oil? Or are you trying to make your partner happy? What are you doing? <laughs> I, I, I I honestly didn't know what to say. I, I did not know what to say in that situation. I just like I just passed my girlfriend and went, I'll meet you in the car. Boom. <laughs> but yeah, they have apparently a Kong. I had a friend that had a, uh, oh my God. I thought they were just, you know, things they used in Jackass. But she had this thing called, they called it Jeffrey. <laughs> it was basically a a dick that was about as big as a leg. Oh my good lord. And she used it when we used to perform on stage. She used it uh for the our little uh take on the kink song Lola. And when uh, she she had to wear a skirt that went all the way down to the floor and when she lifted up, Jeffrey was dragging on the stage. <laughs> That's fantastic. Did she stroke the furry walls right after? Um, I'm sure walls. she broke many a furry wall after, but it, they definitely weren't my furry walls. Whoa. <sighs> what up? <laughs> I told you people to shut it off, didn't I? But you did you listen to wow. me? No. You guys know what? But you yeah, have it's... some, like, pretty terrific stories, so we just gotta let you tell them. Yeah, we just let you go. It's like, now we're gonna show you why Dawn's a horse's ass. <laughs> go. Well, yeah. well, Kind of tying previously what we're talking about in terms of Fifty Shade and Twilight. Bondage. (laughs) Originally, Fifty Shades was developed as Twilight fan fiction called Master of the Universe. Uh, 
right? And <laughs> I'm thinking He Man right now. <laughs> yes, right. And I said, Hey, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I have the power. <laughs> so I always like because I watched Twilight. I thought, you know, I would read Fifty Shades knowing that the two characters were Bella and Edward and just see how that goes. What what kind of experience would that be? Mm. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's just, you know, as as much as we um, we laugh about Twilight specifically, it's still like a high-grossing movie with a female protagonist. Can't really, um, you know, and... Ugh, kind of messed it up. Um high-grossing movie with a female protagonist, this is something that it seems that DC is unwilling to even attempt as they have it's seemingly no interest. I shouldn't even say DC. Warner Brothers in general has no interest in doing a female protagonist action movie or superhero movie whatsoever. And um, years ago, when after um, I think it was Aeon Flux... Um, came out. Um, DC actually... Sorry, no, it wasn't Aeon Flux. It was My Super Ex-Girlfriend came out. DC actually had a mandate and a memo sent to the offices stating um, we are not focusing whatsoever on any type of female action um, movies whatsoever. It will be um, basically um, tossed to the side. Um, in general, I can, I'll try to find the exact quote, but that was the, um, the basis of their statement. And insiders said that the only way that Warner Brothers would be interested in developing anything with a female um, action hero, it would have to star um, Angelina Jolie or Mila Jovovich. I was going to say, I think once uh, Pamela Anderson did Barbed Wire, it pretty much went to hell. Laurie Perry did Thank Girl. But that was the nineties. <laughs> Sorry, what'd you what'd you say? I said Lori Petty did Tank Girl. Yep. Oh, I love Tank Girl. But that I was the nineties. I went to um we had the makeup for our uh our Riverside Arts Market uh little convention for sci fi day because it rained really bad in May. And there was a little girl, she couldn't have been any more than like eight or nine dressed up as Tank Girl, and I was so excited I had to take a picture with her. That's awesome. <laughs> Sorry, I, I I love cool cosplays, especially when like it's a kid and she was like she was so excited that I recognized who she was. And about how old was she? Uh, probably eight or nine. Nice, M- maybe ten. But her her parents were definite geeks because all the kids were like dressed up as like different characters, and the parents were dressed up, and it it was like a lesson of how to be a geek parent. It was pretty cool. Sorry, I, f- I found a, v- a version of the quote. Um, this was in 2007. Um, Warner Brothers president of production Jeff Robinoff has made a new rule that, quote, we are no longer doing movies with women in the lead. Um, and this was according to Deadline Hollywood. Um, apparently, he wouldn't even look at a script with a female lead. <sighs> Now, when you have that type of mindset in place, you can kind of understand and see why Wonder Woman has never been able to get off the ground. And they have attempted 
um, doing a, a television in the television show in the '90s. They attempted most recently with another television show in the um, what two years ago, and even now with this new revamp for an, uh, a Justice League movie, they're gonna actually wait to put Wonder Woman on the movie on the back burner after um, Justice League occurs. Why is it that one of the most iconic female characters of all time, not even just superheroes, is unable to be portrayed on film? Because Linda Carter made it very hard to top. Well, that and the fact that nobody can seem to really get a decent script in there, although I heard Joss Whedon was working on one, and I would really have liked to have seen something happen with that, but for some reason that was knocked down as well. Um, it might be the fact that he's working with Marvel now. Yeah, well, and I still feel like, I don't know, they'd have to find an unknown to play her. I don't think that there's anybody that's there's nobody that I can think of that could play Wonder Woman. Like, they would have to do, like, some kind of casting call, audition thing, and just, like, find somebody. But I, two things about what you just said. One, should we all be um, hedging our bets and hopes that Joss Whedon is the only person to really bring Wonder Woman to film? And two, um, what about, um, um, what's her name, Anna Pilecki or um, Adriana Pilecki, who did yes. the the pilot for the television show. I did not see the pilot for the television show. Um, for the WB TV. I, I saw the pictures and I was not really, I wasn't really too thrilled with her. Okay. But okay. My first statement about Joss Whedon. Oh, about Joss Whedon. No, I'm sure that somebody else could write one. I'm not sure that anybody's trying to pay any attention to find a good one. Like, how many readers do you think they have out there being like, hey, you know what? Find me every person who's ever written a Wonder Woman script. Read them. Bring me the good ones. But, but that's not being that's not happening because they don't want to make a female-driven movie, apparently. So, I mean, nobody's putting any effort toward it. I'm sure somebody has something out there. Like, that just... I don't know. There's a lot of talented writers out there. Somebody must have something somewhere. <laughs> All right. Well, with the let me just ex explain um, the Wonder Woman television pilot. Um, mm -hmm. Basically, <laughs> uh, Wonder Woman was this um, was this outed character who ran this corporation that made products uh, regarding Wonder Woman, so like action figures, perfume, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then in a, which that company paid for her crime fighting, um, equipment, such as her plane, um, her ability to investigate and travel, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So she was Wonder Woman. And then when she was in her, um, corporate, she was like, like, I think she was the head of the corporation or she was like part of the board. Right of the corporation, Wonder Woman Corporation. She was um, Diana Prince. Um, everyone knew her as Diana Prince slash Wonder Woman, right? So she was Diana Prince in the corporate world, Wonder Woman as a superhero. Then she had another identity when she was at home, which she would be, you know, frumpy and wear glasses, and she would watch television with her cat and... Um, Oh my God. <laughs> look, look online and try to connect with people uh, via 
you're chatting. Oh, we don't know anybody like that. I really want to stab everybody right now. So, <laughs> now, I mean, not you guys, but everybody who was involved in this. David E. Kelly, the writer of The Practice and um, Boston Legal and a lot of other shows, uh, those type of procedurals, was the one who was the the driving force, the creative force. He wrote um, that pilot. Now, the pilot is absolutely awful for one woman. That being said, it would have been perfect for She-Hulk. Because She-Hulk deals with all these identity issues. And it has been focused on before. It just wasn't right for one woman. And the fact that they even attempted to do that for one woman really told me that they didn't have a good grasp on the character. Which you could kind of see happened with Catwoman where they wanted to make this Michelle Pfeiffer, Pfeiffer um, Catwoman movie and then uh, Tim Burton dropped out and then she dropped out and then Ashley Judd couldn't do it and they really wanted to make this movie so they asked Halle Berry who was you know a big name at that time and she didn't really care um, about um, it being great she just wanted to be the character and they didn't Warner Brothers didn't care about making a good movie they thought that Catwoman as a character would equal money because Catwoman is a recognizable name Halle Berry is a rec- recognizable name and we'll have Sharon Stone as the um, antagonist and we're gonna make a lot of money it doesn't matter how it is without really focusing on what really makes Catwoman Catwoman and I think it's a, a case what happened with the one woman television show, David E. Kelly's version. Um, that's the same type of thought process at play, both from Warner Brothers, mind you. <sighs> well, didn't David E. Kelly do Ally McBeal too? So was there like a dancing baby involved? Hold on, I actually have to check that. That sounds awful. That sounds really, really awful. Ugh. And that and that fucking outfit. She she wore more than one outfit, actually. So, like, the one outfit that everyone saw... Um, the the, uh, there was, yeah, she did go pantsless later on the show. Like, she... Once again, she had multiple costume changes. Right? And David E. Kelly did do Alan McBeal. So, he's... That show. <laughs> Awful. He's used to doing these procedural type of of shows and that's why um warner brothers tapped him because he's a proven name in it right for the most part if it was any other company they probably would have got like a jj abrams or um or someone to kind of do that that's what fox is doing that's what um abc is doing is getting these proven commodities to look after these high concept science fiction superhero stories and immediately once David E. Kelly was involved, it w- it wasn't a right fit for Wonder Woman. Like, like she, once again, I bring up She-Hulk. Why? Because She-Hulk is a lawyer. So it makes sense. Like, if you change them, going back to the WB Wonder Woman pilot concept, if they change it from a corporate, a corporation to a law firm, it makes total sense. Everyone knows that She-Hulk is Jennifer Walters. Right? And... And that's where some of the charm of She-Hulk in general lays, lies. 
and <laughs> it's like wrong company but you know what i was kind of hoping that it would get picked up just because i think the the biggest hurdle for wonder woman isn't the fact of them um making a good wonder woman i think it's just the fact of them actually going ahead and doing something with wonder woman because it's not to say that they couldn't do it in Smallville. They just completely didn't do anything of the sort, right? Even in um, in Arrow, they're doing the Flash, right? The Flash has been confirmed for Arrow. Spoiler alert! It's been in like articles. I know. I know. Yeah, and they they talked about it the whole time I was at DragonCon. Yeah. But it still hasn't come out on screen yet when it airs. Yeah, but I mean. It seems that like they've done Huntress in a in a sort, I guess, right? And it just seems that when it comes to female characters, they just just try to stay away from it. Like even Supergirl seemed like they were kind of in Smallville, like yeah, I guess we're gonna do Supergirl, right? Even after the bait and switch of earlier on in the series, they had like a Supergirl type character. Speaking of female characters did you guys see the katie sackhoff rumors for captain marvel possibly yeah i saw but she she replied and said that she felt that i guess her words got taken out of context when she was interviewed on a podcast but man what i don't know if you guys if any of you have read any of the new captain marvel that's uh it's done by kelly sue DeConnick. oh i've only read the first the first trade which is like the first six but it's already fantastic and awesome and i want to see captain marvel on screen like because this is not just like a dc thing or a marvel thing this is a whole like comics wide thing when it comes to like any female fronted anything yeah you know save for like birds of prey but i mean like you know in the avengers we've got the black widow and she doesn't really She's not really at the forefront enough. I'm hoping the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. maybe gets gives us a few people, a few women up front. But well, I'm I, not sure how many powered folk they're going to have there. And is my Rob big Kibosky issue... Is going to be in that? I think so. Yeah. So, um, I'm not sure. Spoiler. Um, Colby Smothers is going to be in... Um, Smolder, sorry. Colby Smolders. Shabotsky is going to be <laughs> in Robin Agents Shibosky. of S.H.I.E.L.D. She's going to be in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s, um, I I think, at the very least, the pilot. Um, plus, you have Ming-Na, who's supposed to be the... Um, oh, yeah. The, one of the head agents, and she's always fantastic in... Like, you could just go down the list of her, just look her up and look up what show she's been on, and she's... Oh, yeah. When you're talking about, like, top-tier female characters on television... You're talking about Ming-Na. She does. She picks her roles very well. Um, I, I think with um, the rumors of um, a Miss Marvel movie in general, not just, not just, um, just her playing Miss Marvel, Captain Marvel. Sorry, she was previously known as Miss Marvel. She's now Captain Marvel. Uh, I think it shows a lot of. Uh, you, when there's smoke, there's fire. And we all know that eventually there's going to be a Black Panther, 
movie because it's been rumored so much. There's going to be a Doctor Strange movie because it's been rumored so much. Hearing uh, Captain Marvel being brought up, right, means that there is some serious thought to it. And this isn't a, a, a super iconic character um, like a, a Wonder Woman um, at play. Because Captain... Oh, sorry. Sorry, sorry. But the fact that they're they're actually taking the time to really put this forward, right? As a possible slate option puts them arms and shoulders above DC who has no intention whatsoever of pursuing a Wonder Woman movie until it's proven. Until the Justice League movie is there to support her getting a movie. It should uh, it should also be said that Captain Marvel, up until this point right now, has historically been a male. So you have to read the storyline to find out what, what happens and all that stuff, obviously. But um, I, I actually came upon Captain Marvel because I love Thanos and I really love Jim Starlin's work. And one of the, actually one of the first books that I was introduced to of Captain Marvel was the death of Captain Marvel from like the seventies of all things to read first. <laughs> <laughs> but you know that I went to pick, they re-released that trade when I was home in Connecticut in January. And when I was at the comics shop um, in my hometown, they had the new trade right next to it. And I said, I've got to read this Captain Marvel to turns into a chick dude. Done. Winner. <laughs> and I actually have a review up on it somewhere on the internet. I don't oh. know where. <laughs> well, not not even just from yeah that that storyline is fantastic. Um, and the great thing now about Captain Marvel is how her character has been pushed to the forefront, um, even since um, Civil War, um, which brought Iron Man to the forefront of being a main character in the Marvel Universe, because before that, he was always an Avenger, and he always had his own title, but he was never considered top-tier like Spider-Man was, like Wolverine was. Um, and Civil War was was that, that storyline that kind of pushed him to the forefront, that put him and Captain America as a top two, one of the top two figures of, um, of the Marvel Universe. And Captain Marvel was right there, um, pushed up as a, a as a, a top character as well, and then you saw it, uh, the aftermath of Civil War when she was put in charge of the the Mighty Avengers, um, and it continues on um, consistently. They Marvel has done a good job in terms of saying Captain Marvel, she is a character that you should look at, that you should pay attention to. She is one of those important characters in our universe as wonder woman is portrayed to be as part of the trinity of batman superman and wonder woman here you're seeing um captain marvel being pushed in the forefront but um what okay what other um superhero movies would you like to see with a female protagonist wonder woman <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> what other? Because we we kind we all want a Wonder Woman um, movie, but I really really want one. I'm sitting here looking at my nightside table, and it has my Wonder Woman lunchbox and my big red plastic Wonder Woman cup. I'm wearing Wonder Woman underwear right now, and there's we, my wallet, found, also Wonder Woman. <laughs> we, we found her Wonder Woman on the wall in in Canada in Niagara Falls, and I took her picture in front of it. Oh yeah, I got that too. <laughs> Plus, I have the tattoo on my side, very large. So I would really kind of like to see a Wonder Woman movie at some point, and I would love it to not suck. Um, <laughs> what else would I like to see? Um, I'm actually looking forward to, and Aspen Comics has been teasing this for the last couple of years at different conventions, but they have been working on getting um, a Fathom movie. I don't know how many people read Aspen Comics, but um, Fathom is the book that set them all up. Um, and they're named after the main character, uh, who's known as Aspen Matthews. But I am I really want to see what comes of that when they can finally get it going. Because they have a lot of other stuff going on, but I really want to see the Fathom movie. Cool. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, go, going off of like, do, like just female fronted stuff in general. I love like not even just superhero movies. Like it doesn't have to be superhero movies. It can be science fiction too. I mean, like, um, one of my one of and I need to actually rewatch the whole thing. Cause it's been forever. But one of my favorite, pretty much female fronted shows is Lost Girl, which I know Jamil has watched i'm not sure if um uh don or katie that you guys have watched it but it's a really damn good show and i i love lost girl no i've never seen it oh okay uh lost girl is about i was like for those who don't know lost girl is about um this um this uh, runaway who finds out that she's actually a succubus and um is introduced into this um this fae world that's all around her and she's kind of pulled into the politics and um and um the power play that is there between the light fae and the dark fae it's a really good series and also pretty funny at points um another more serious sci-fi canadian show is um continuum which stars um rachel nichols um who was in um uh p2 the the horror thriller movie and also she was in the first gi joe um as i forget her character's name but she was in the first gi joe um that show is really fantastic and i would strongly suggest that anyone um everyone watch it uh i don't know if my niece would really like it if they made a hawk girl movie (laughs) She's three, but she runs around talking about hot girl all the time. But she says it really fast. It sounds like she's saying hot girl. <laughs> um, it would also be interesting to see a good Supergirl movie. Oh, yeah. God, anything better than the Helen Slater crap. You know, <laughs> and I totally get why they cast her after like the Legend of Billie Jean. Like I totally understand because <laughs> that movie was pretty kick-ass. And you know, she seemed like a superhero in that movie. But like, I mean, it's kick-ass because it's terrible. But, <laughs> you know, she's all, like, strong, empowered, pet Benatar, Blair, and cutting her hair off. Awesome. 
I can see why they'd be like, you know what? You'd be a great superhero, honey. But yeah, I, it was pretty bad. In terms of um, uh, female-oriented um, television shows or projects in general, um, I, I find that I have a different perspective than um, than a lot of people when when the discussion comes up. One, because I'm a guy who's who really does enjoy watching female protagonists. So, like my fav one of my favorite animes is Revolutionary Girl Utena, which is about uh, a girl who does not want to be shackled by the ideals of she should act a certain way and wants to become a prince and save the day. Basically, she wants to be the hero that saves the day. She wants to do the saving, right? And she doesn't want to conform to people's ideals of how she should dress or act. Um, then um, I always hope that one day HBO or Showtime would make a Strangers in Paradise ad adaptation because I think that's one of the best comic books, uh, graphic novels, stories I've ever read and I would love to see it play out again on screen. Um, and I'm, I'm always left with the debate would I be happy to see um, a female protagonist even if the show isn't that good like if they were made a Wonder Woman movie would I be happy that would I be just be happy that they made it or would I only be happy if they made it and it was good how do you guys feel I think that if they're going to make it it should be good so I would really only be happy if they made it and it was good if they made it, it'd be like, oh, well, you know, at least, you know, somebody tried. No, fuck that. Make it and make it be good. <laughs> That's how I feel. Ditto. <laughs> it's like, we've waited this long. If you make a shitty movie at this point, you're insulting us. So. <laughs> yeah. I have no opinion on that one, honestly. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. What do you hope to see, like, in terms of the female protagonists? Done. Um, if you would have asked me this question over 10 years ago, I would have said I would have liked to have seen them try to do a full feature-length film of Xena Warrior Princess, which ironically, when that show was really, really popular, they were rumoring her to play Wonder Woman because she had the perfect, I guess, fit, which was, you know, the height, you know, the, um, I don't want to say the skills because, um, I believe at one point wasn't Zoe Bell like a stand-in on the show for yeah. some of the stunts. But um, if you were to ask me now, which you are, I don't really know of any female comic book character, TV character that I would like to see a solo um, feature on only because yeah, unfortunately I'm one of those that my fa my favorite all time character is the Hulk. And following right behind him is the thing. I don't really have any, uh, and I'm probably not speaking perfect English, but um, I don't have any female characters that I can strongly relate to. But if I had to pick one as far as um, a protagonist that I would like to see maybe a little bit more of a, uh, maybe a focus on, and this is going to be a very big stretch, is Amy Farrah Fowler from The Big Bang Theory. 
I absolutely adore that character, and I think mostly it's because she reminds me a lot of Amanda. <laughs> she is fantastic. I, she's my favorite part of that show. Yeah. Um, I would have no problems if they um, deep-sixed Sheldon and replaced Amy Farah as um, the main person of the group. But that's just me. Yeah, I think they're kind of stretching a lot of what they're doing with the Sheldon character. I mean, the only thing that remains is um, for him to finally have sex. Really. I mean, they already broke... They broke poor Amy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, they already broke the one boundary um, with Raj not being able to talk to women without having alcohol. Right. Um, they broke the, well, it's Penny and Leonard together. They got, uh, Wallowitz, who was the classic, you know, uh, I don't want to say womanizer because you have to actually have a woman to womanize, but he finally gets married and the last threshold is Sheldon not having any form of real physical contact other than what they've done so far. And once they do that, I think that show has run its course. Yeah, pretty much. Or will Sheldon having sex be like jumping the shark? <laughs> I think people might think they've already jumped that shark. I yeah, don't know enough. exactly where it's it may have happened, but I think a lot of people might have already thought they'd done it. <coughs> I haven't seen past season four. <coughs> what? Everybody okay? Don knows well my feelings towards Big Bang Theory in general. Yeah, I know. I know your feelings on it, and I still think you're a little fucking the head. Um, but I would like to see the girls have their own show. I think that would be cool. I would watch that. I think it would be pretty sweet. You know, I I like the Big Bang Theory to a point. Like, I have a I know a lot of mutual friends of ours that we all know from different places online and wherever that are like really offended by the Big Big Bang Theory all the time. And the only time that I was ever aff- actually offended by that show was during the tabletop episode. And they were like, you know, they just went on this whole thing about how girls don't play tabletop games. And I can tell you, I can walk into any tabletop store in this city where I live right now, and there will be at least two or three chicks playing tabletop. So that, it, Doesn't that hearken to the previous conversations of, you know, these other these uh, guys in high comic power, if you will? saying that girls, uh, the comic books aren't made for girls? Aren't they just kind of like making a mock of that? No, it, it didn't feel like it was making a mock when I when I saw the episode. And the fact that, you know, that they're basically like a geek show and the fact that they would even have that line in the show really offended me. Well, and it's, and not, it's not something that I, like, I got really super upset about. I was just like, really? Really? That they had to go there? Another thing, too, there's only been, like, one really other time that there's been a girl who's not a main character on the show shopping in that comic book store. Like, that one time that, like, Leonard met some girl there when he had his girlfriend who was in India. And then, like, yeah, but that's the only time that I've ever seen, like, a girl in that comic book store. And it's like, I know girls go into comic book stores. Come on. I've been into one. I know what happens. Like, (laughs) so... The only yeah, comic that's... book stores that girls don't go into are terrible comic book stores. <laughs> Basically. And, you know, Stuart's store looks okay. <laughs> He's got Wonder Woman stuff. I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. Uh... <laughs> that was random. Anyhow. <laughs> Anyhow. Um, I think this was a really good episode. Um, it um, 
talked on a lot of subjects, a lot of uh, comic book and um, DC oriented. Um, and I many, know... many dark corners were revealed. <laughs> um, I know that we've been promising them how we met, um, how we got started episode. We keep promising it every week, but we're just waiting until we have everyone, all members of Podcast Possible, here to actually do the episode. And so, if, if I, I'm sorry, I know you, you, you scolded me for interrupting. No, it's fine. But This time. Ha ha ha. Um, if they can run a uh, series called How I Met Your Mother and not reveal it until years later, I think we they can hold out a little while longer. It, uh, who's going to be the slapback commissioner? Me. <laughs> Huzzah. What are my powers? <laughs> I think it's the slap me. I don't know. <laughs> we got the spanker. <laughs> the spanker. <laughs> Well, oh, everyone well, loves a hand on a stick. <laughs> I'm sure they do. I am sure they do. Okay, well, that wraps it up for us. Uh, if um, Please subscribe to us on iTunes. Thank you to the people who have already subscribed. Um, now, I just ask one more favor of you all, and that is to put a review in, five stars, if necessary. And then write a little comments. Um, if you have any feedback or questions or subjects you want us to cover, you can um, write to us at podcastpossible at gmail.com. Or you can tweet us at podcastpossible. Um, once again, listen to us for next week. Uh, I'm Jamil. I'm Don. I'm Mandy. Uh, I'm Katie. I would like to say that this is Podcast Accomplished. And please, and please give us a positive review or so help me, I'll get naked up in this bitch and you know I will. You're at your house. <laughs> it's safer that way. <laughs>